Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Griggs and I am the host of the Reginissance podcast. Alongside me is Christina Clinton from Fafo Farms TX. Thank you guys for joining. Thanks for having us. So I guess just to get started is, yeah, if you just have a general introduction to you guys and, and your farm. Well, uh, we moved here very recently. In June. June 10th, yeah. 2023. Uh, our goal was immediately to hit the ground running and start a regenerative farm because we know that from the history of where we bought, unfortunately, it's been pretty much stripped. A lot of uh, monocropping and stuff like that, just growing hay to grow hay for your animals. So we started hitting the ground running. We started out with pasture poultry and you know, chicken tractors and kind of doing the Joel Salatin model, if you know what that is. And mm -hmm. we started moving into raw milk and dairy because we love raw milk and dairy. And unfortunately, it's kind of hard to find unless you know the right people or you want to drive two hours one way and then drive two hours like another way back. So we're like, why don't we just do it for ourselves and then eventually be able to provide the community with what we love and kind of educate people on what they're actually putting into their bodies as well when it comes to like pasteurized milk and processed foods. Yeah. So I'm curious with both of you, do, do you have a background in agriculture or what led you to no. the past? Yeah. No, she, so yeah. she ran her own business in California doing windshield repair and she's contracted with a lot of the local dealerships in the Bay area. And then myself, uh, prior military background and I worked for the department of defense for a couple of years. And then I went back to school for cybersecurity network software. Uh, then the school shut down a semester before I graduated with my bachelor. So then I ended up in the solar industry and then I did solar sales for about eight years, ran my own company for two years and then ran for city council. And then after that, we said we're done with the city life and we moved out to rural Texas and started a farm with zero knowledge. Well, we had some knowledge. Wait, zero, zero knowledge, no knowledge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I'm curious then, what made you want to just dive into all of that? Uh, just more so being self-sufficient. And so seeing where everything was kind of going with society and just un how unhealthy food is at grocery stores. Like you get you, there's this facade of you're buying organic, but is it really organic when it's coming from China and they're not actually inspecting that food? Like but most people don't even realize that Whole Foods sells Chinese produce, not American produce. And so when it says organic on it, are you really eating organic food? So we just wanted to have holistically good food. And so we started out with buying food from a rancher. Um, and so we buy from them, K&C cattle out in Austin area. Yeah, we went meat-based carnivore for about a year strictly. I'd say we're about eight months now on carnivore diet. Um, and it, it's just been amazing. I mean, it dropped over 100 pounds. Um, inflammation's down and then we got into the raw milk and so we're like okay well like we know a way to generate money on a farm is to raise chickens but like what other avenues can we do and using our land um, the best way to maximize our dollars and also just raise things that we enjoy like we love pasture poultry we love raw milk like it's nice to be able to just like literally we'll milk daisy in the morning and then we'll have breakfast and we'll have raw milk that we just like milked like that's, that's awesome. amazing. That's I wish I could give that experience to more people. Yeah. No. So I have a lot that I want to talk about specifically with raw milk. But before that, I'm really curious because people have already asked me to about thinking about starting their own regenerative ranch. So I'm curious. Whenever you were searching, because you said you want to get out of the city life, 
what all were you researching in terms of, I guess, places to, to move to? What was that process like trying to figure out, yeah, where to go and, and then so whenever you, you made the final decision? So the first thing that I looked at were flood zones. So making sure that I was not going into historical flood zones because we've seen where a lot of farmers, especially in California, they're getting decimated by the floods. Um, so we know we wanted to avoid that issue. That was the first thing that we looked into. And then just what are the soil types in, in your zone area? Um, so, I mean, Texas is so big. Um, I could be in East Texas and have really, really rich soil, but then I can be in Northwest Texas and have dry, sandy loam clay. So you just want to figure out what you want to be doing on your land and then what type of soil is needed. Now, the land that you may buy not may not be perfect, perfect for those certain standards, so you may need to do some regenerative uh, methodology on it to bring it back to where it needs to be. But at least you're in that zone, zoned area where the soil can get back to that area. Yeah. Also, just like talking to people who farm out here, we are really lucky to. We actually met another. Um, but you get, they would have to do that. We didn't do that before we moved. No, but when we were we looking. We did that after we moved. So you can't. Use no, but. That, I know, but you can't use that technique if we didn't talk to people until after we moved. But when we were looking at houses at different places, when we hadn't bought this property yet, we did find a regenerative farmer in Permila, where we are, they and were, we talked to him. We already moved. No, we hadn't. We, we were already in the process of moving. Your parents put in an offer. No, we hadn't yet. Okay. We can agree to disagree. So I'm curious then, too, um, did you, so you bought the property. What was the plan whenever you... I guess first had that property to because you said as soon as you got here you had the you hit the ground running. Did you have a formal plan or did you just have a couple things that you wanted to do and you just start going at it and you would just learn as you go? I was curious what that process looked like. Ideas of what we wanted to do, and so it really started out with buying the big animal. So it was buying the cow, and then after that, after we got the cow, she wanted to get a mammoth donkey just as a like protector on on the uh, pasture. So we ended up getting a mammoth donkey just for that purpose. Um, and then we got goats um, because we wanted to try uh, doing goat milk uh, soap and then tried the raw goat milk. And I actually prefer that over ca raw cow's milk. It just sucks that they don't produce as much. Um, mm -hmm. So we're getting about a quart to two quarts a day. Um, the majority of that is going to making soap. So we freeze it. Um, and then after we've got the animals, then it was like, okay, next is chickens. So we want to get Cornish crosses, bought those, did our first batch. It's like, oh, these are extremely small. So the next batch that we bought were the Cornish cross uh, XLs, or they call them jumbos. Um, and so just figuring out what type of bird that we would want to go with um, and then building the tractors for that at the same time. So tried Joe Salatin's chicken tractor. Now he, from after what I've heard from other people that know him personally, that the wood that he uses, he mills himself from his property. So it's actual two by fours, not the two by fours that you buy in this at Home Depot or Lowe's. So all the wood that we bought compared to his blueprints don't look similar to his. So ours was falling apart, um, which, which sucks, but it is what it is. It works. It works still. Um, and then I built my own with no plans, found some 
upgrades that needs to happen. So we'll have version two probably in the next month. And then I'll probably find some other better ways to improve that until we get to a one that actually works for us because Joe Salatin's chicken tractors are just way too big for us, especially with my military injuries to be dragging that around. Um, so we have to downsize it to where it's holding instead of 50 birds, it's only holding 20 birds at a time. Yeah, it's all a learning then, process. Yeah, no, whenever I was on the farm, I, I was only there for two months and the amount that you learn just in that time is insane. Oh yeah. I'm curious then with whenever you switched chicken, the types of chickens you were buying, were you just sourcing that locally or I guess if you can just expand on that process too, whenever you're buying the chickens. So the chickens with the meat birds, we used a hatchery that like uh, Joe Salatin uses. And Justin Rhodes yeah, uses. Justin Rhodes uses. McMurray Hatchery. Yeah, McMurray Hatchery um, is a well-known hatchery for buying Cornish crosses, but they're just a reseller. They don't actually breed them themselves. Um, and then for all the other chickens, we buy from local farmers around here. Um, just so we could support them because getting those Cornish crosses is basically a yeah. patent. And so there are only a select few hatcheries that actually um, sell them on mass production. Yeah, like all our Rhode Island Reds, we were able to source locally, which is nice. I get them from uh, oh. they came They came with the Cornish crosses. Oh, you're right. Sorry about that. So whenever you're, I guess, visiting these other uh, local farms that have the hatcheries, are there certain questions or qualities or characteristics that you're looking for or what helps you make that final decision? I just look at their living condition, seeing how well they're being taken care of. Outside of that, um, I just want to make sure that they're close to me. So I'm not having to drive two hours to go to a hatchery to pick them up. Um, so we, we, we found three individuals uh, in the area. One's pretty far we've met with a couple times but he's too far of a drive now since we've left austin um and then we got one that's about 45 minutes and another one that, that's an hour that we haven't gone to yet um probably won't because we've we like the other guy that we've already met with he has a great infrastructure and pretty some unique uh setups for his chickens on how he waters them he has some pretty cool water system set up um, and then how his breeding coops are pretty cool as well. And he's got some unique uh, chickens. Like he has that all black. Uh, the uh, Amani Sermaya. Yeah, it's, cool. it's like it has the black meat, black beak, er black everything, everything about the chicken's black. Hmm. Uh, which I've never seen that before. Cool. I know they're crazy looking. So I mean, we've met two people that have them, and they both have roosters, but neither one of them have hens. So yeah. it's like one of you needs to get a hen, so you can, and then we'll buy both of them, and then we'll start breeding those because they're unique. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious then, you, you, bought, you bought those uh, newborns and you brought them to your farm. I guess, could you just go the process of from that to whenever they're processed and what that's like? So basically, first thing in the morning, eat breakfast, go start doing the morning chores. And so we have, we call it our main birds that are on the back side of the house. Um, and then we got, uh, she calls them the Boberts because they're big breasted like uh, Lauren Bobert, or whatever her name is, our first name is. Um, so the big breasted Boberts. And so they get moved. Those are our Cornish Cross yeah, Jumbos. Cornish Crosses, Jumbos. They're already three times the size of our, jumbo, uh, our first Cornish Crosses. And I also wow. want to say this because I didn't know this. Someone told me on the back end, 
if you're trying to raise meat birds in Texas during July and August, they're going to turn out small because they're using all that energy to stay alive and stay cool. They're not using that energy to grow big. So probably depending on the weather, we may take July and August off next year because raising them in 110, 112, sometimes 115 degree heat. Like we were out there, like just trying to keep them alive, like putting ice in their water, like trying to just make sure they stayed alive. And we actually, they all live, most of them, except for uh, the ones that got by predators. But yeah. none of them died from the heat. Yeah, none of them died from heat, but the, the ones that did die, all predators. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll move the chicken tractor one full length in the morning and then uh, in the evening. So around five o'clock, we'll start our evening chores, go out and milk the goats. Make sure all the waters and feeders are still uh, topped, off. topped off. And then we'll move the two chicken tractors again um, for the second time. That way they're getting a fresh uh, patch of grass because our soil and the pasture isn't regenerated. Uh, we haven't done planting any seeds yet uh, to get all that native grass in. So it's a lot of like we, uh, I'd say thorn bushes and random weeds. Very weedy. Random weeds. So it's not a lot of grass for them to feed off of. Um, so we have to move them twice a day. But once we plant seeds, which we plan on not doing this fall because we don't know because of how hot it was, I'm afraid it's going to be really, really cold this winter. So I don't want to spend two grand on seeds when we're already spent more money than we thought we were going to from the mistakes that we learned from. Um, so we're going to wait till the spring uh, to plant the grasses but we're going to go with this uh, the summer native grasses that are uh, drought re resistant um, and we'll go probably with about 13 to 15 different uh, seeds but we got to contact the local university uh, to figure out what native grass is to buy for this zone because they already i think it's AM. yeah AM. so texas a and um, their ag department actually has pre uh put together seeds for each zone of texas Native grasses. And I learned that from one of the, the guys at our local church. Yeah. That is awesome. That's, yeah. Also, like, really get to know your community because we've had people, like, just being here for, like, three months, we've had people come out and offer their seed drills. They're like, hey, I'll come out to your farm and we can look at your soil. Hey, I'll come out to your farm. We can look at, like, let's let's see what we can do as, like, a community to help you. And we met some people and they met, made some stuff for us, like, just out of the goodness of their heart. And, of course, we returned always in kind. Cause we love giving, but it's just like, it's crazy how when you have like a similar mindset to someone, they will go like the extra link for you just because you're, you're basically their neighbor. Yeah. That's yeah. probably the first thing I recommend anybody to do is like get tied into your community as soon as you get into the area where you're going to live. And that's going to start with your church. It's either your church or like Clint's part of the lion's club. And we didn't know this, but the, one of the main ladies of the lion's club is the master gardener for, for Texas A&M. Yeah. For Texas A&M central Texas. Yeah, so she's like, here, take my car. I'll come over sometime. And I'm like, really? Like, I'm like Dobby with a sock when people are, like, like giving to me. I'm like, thank you so much. I'm just, like, super full of gratitude. It's crazy. I mean, that's awesome, too. That was one thing I noticed. So the farm I worked on was in Pennsylvania. Hey. And it was surrounded by a lot of Amish. And they they always communicated and, and um, were very friendly with the farm owner that I stayed with and so that's really crucial and that's a good point because with you guys for example you're starting out none, none of this is your background you weren't raised on a farm or a ranch and so you're just throwing yourself in the weeds and so it's really 
it's really awesome to see people are helping you out with all of that. Oh yeah, like more than willing. Even the gentleman in Permila who also raises uh, meat birds, who were like we were, we're kind of like tiptoeing because we don't ever want to step on anyone else's toes. But he's like, hey, I actually want to partner with you guys. Yeah, because we want his, work together. his main business is actually not pastured poultry. It's something he did, kind of does on the side because he doesn't like doing it. Yeah, he hates it. He, he hates it. Um, but he likes doing goat meat, and he makes his own spices and his own vanilla extract. And so he's more into, like, um, what would you say? Uh, I'd say, like, farming agriculture. Yeah, he's more of farming agriculture and, like, Spices for foods that he likes to do. Yeah. So with this being three months, then have you processed chickens already then too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, what was it, two weeks ago? Yep. We did uh, 60 birds uh, two weeks ago. And so it took us about four hours to process all birds, to do 60 between the two of us, and then about another hour to um, put them away in the storage bags. Yeah. Do you you need any type of certification to do that? No. No, you do, though, if you want to sell them or give, or I don't think, it's fine if you give them away, but if you want to sell them, you have to have an exemption from the state. Yeah, so, well, an exemption if you're processing under 10,000. Which, we're two people on one farm, so I don't think we're going to be processing more than 10,000 per Yeah. I I think even even at our peak, when we have our business doing very well and set and set. I don't think that we're going to exceed maybe 8,000. That's, I mean, that's a lot. That's of birds. a lot of birds. A lot of birds. Yes. Um, especially since we're going to have multiple different products, we'll probably cap ourselves off about 5,000 birds just between the two of us. Um, now if we hire part-time or we get people that want to come out and volunteer out a process to get their own free chicken, then I've seen other, and I've talked to other people, that's what they do out here. It's like, well, yeah, I'll come out for three, four hours and help out, and I'll get two free chickens out of it. Do you, so with the fact that there's not a whole lot of grass and whatnot, how are you making sure they're fed? So with the food, uh, we, we went out and we bought uh, six rolls of hay. And so we got that in June, and we still have about two and a half rolls left. Um, and then we buy feed. Uh, Non-GMO. Non-GMO blended pellet corn feed. Um, and so that runs us about 260 a month just in the feed for the, the goats, the cow, and the donkey. That's sweet. And then with the chickens, we buy a pallet at a time. And they're, they're the ones that are expensive to feed, are the chickens. Yeah. Because uh, that's about 750 to 790 a month uh, just to feed the chickens. Wow. Yeah, and also sourcing stuff where people aren't spraying everything constantly is really hard. <laughs> yeah, once no, I bet. Get, once we get the grass growing, yeah. more bugs will be going through the soil and the grass is, and the grass will be higher for the chickens to eat. So we, we won't have to feed the chickens as much, which would drastically cut down on our food. Yeah, no, I bet. I'm curious, too, then, for anybody that would be listening to this that would be interested in having their own chickens, I guess what would be a good budget to have to start, say, 
20 birds, like you're saying with, with the, the Salatin, uh, tractor trailer that you built. Yeah. I guess what would be the expected cost someone would have if they wanted to start that on their own? So the one is 20 meat birds or like 20 egg layers? He's saying meat birds, like with the Joel's. Yeah, I guess yeah, so that should be more clear with that. That's my so oh, no, broilers okay. and then and then uh, laying hens. I guess because I, I know some people would want just the eggs, but then others would want to do the, the broilers. Yeah. So our, I'll start with the eggs and then we'll go into the broilers. Our egg layers are a lot cheaper to feed because they free range all day long. Um, so they have a master coop that they we let them out every morning. They have feed inside their coop. Which so they barely touch. Which they barely ch- touch because we have a giant compost pile that we build up um, when we clear out the pens um, from their uh, the wood chips and then also... Uh, processing the chickens. Processing the chickens. We'll bury um, the bones and all that. The offal too. Yeah, and their intestines, the uh, track, yeah, the offal. Uh, out of there, and so they'll dig through, and they'll they'll eat all that stuff, and it cuts down on their feed. Um, so I mean, I probably go through about two or three bags a month on them, which is really really good. Um, now, because there's de- about depending. twenty back there, right? Twenty. No we chickens. Don't, we don't have twenty chickens with the ducks and everything. I'm not talking about the Rhode Island Reds. I'm talking about the ducks too. Um, uh, the geese. Probably about fifteen. Okay. Um, and then with the broilers, since we don't have grass, it's just weeds. They don't eat a lot of the weeds. They'll pick off like the little buds off of them, which is not much. Um, we go through about, but we have more than 20. So if someone had 20, they'd probably go through about half a bag a day. And so you're looking 30 days, 15 bags, bags about 21 bucks. Lord. Unless they buy it in bulk. Which we do. <laughs> Our feed people love us because we show up and they're like, this is going to be good. So they're they're looking at about three fifteen a month for 20 birds. That's if you're, if you have nothing, no, if you have no grass. Yeah. So if someone has grass, they could probably cut that in half. So it'll probably be about one fifty a month um, in feed if they actually have grass. Yeah, which is again why we also chose the Cornish crosses because there it's eight weeks instead of twenty one like a lot of the other broiler breeds like the uh, Freedom Rangers and the Jersey Giants and stuff like that. And then I guess what would be the the extra cost too for building the the actual uh, chicken tractors and then also with trying to make sure that they have the water set up, all, all of that's really good. I guess what would those, those cost be as well? So I tried buying the the gravity feed water, so it's not on the ground, and they like to jump on it, and it just splashes all over the place, so you, they just go through water. Yeah, they went through a five-gallon bucket within two hours because they were literally laying in it because they were trying to keep cool. So. so we had to switch over to the ground waters, which are three gallons each, because the five gallon wouldn't allow the lid to close on top. And so those three gallon things are $34 each. Um, and then we have the long food trough that we bought from Premier, um, where we had our electric fencing as well. Um, so the food trough was $95. 
the electric fencing was 295 the solar charger bit box was 150 and then so with the chicken wire and the chicken mesh i bought it a bulk roll so it would build multiple because it's cheaper price per, uh, per, per penny um but the the wood and then the roofing for it for the chicken tractor that holds 50 birds it was about 350 bucks so it'd be like for all the materials so it'd be like 150 for one for 20. yeah if they went with a smaller one that only did 20 you're probably looking at about 150 bucks in materials to build the chicken tractor yeah but again this is also where community comes in because we just met a couple who they're moving so they're like hey come by our farm and just pick whatever you want and we'll be over there tomorrow i think or the day after and they're going to give us like what like probably like 40 two by fours like actual two by fours from the old building that they had to tear down yeah it's from uh they're oak i mean not oak they're they're cedar um so they're super lightweight but and sturdy super uh, sturdy and durable and uh, water water resistant uh, so you don't have to worry about it rotting um and so we have about 30 40 of them we just had to take out all the screws and nails out of them and then just reuse them yeah with a lot of stuff it's how much work you're willing to put in on the back end of a project because we can get go get like brand new fun wood at home depot for money or we can get you know free wood and do a little bit of work on the back end and have a pretty much free chicken tractor i mean it just goes back to just putting yourself out there and and trying to or learn and talk with the community because that is a good point that I haven't really even thought about is whenever you move that there's so many potential opportunities to where they could help you not only save money but just so many other headaches too um, with all their wealth and knowledge so that's pretty awesome yeah and people are so like I don't know if this is every small town in Texas but people here are so like giving like they're like let me help you because I don't I, th I think they can tell like we don't know what we're doing <laughs> but we try our best and they're like you're adorable let me help you like we're like thank you i'm curious then too before moving on because i really want to talk about raw milk is there i guess any other things that you would like to add with talking broilers and and laying hens no cool i, mean, I guess then I'll, I'll, treat oh go ahead no no it's okay don't worry about it I already mentioned that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So with raw milk and how, I guess, congested, you could say, and uh, depending on the state with all the crazy laws and whatnot, what has been this process like trying to to start selling and, and making your own raw milk from the start? Because I know. Yeah, bet. Even in Texas. Yeah, they make it extremely difficult to become a raw milk retailer and so we're going to go the other route and just go through a farm share that's what eventually we do want to be a grade a dairy that's what we're working towards yeah but, but right now we're just doing farm shares for raw milk yeah we're just doing farm share for raw milk because one we don't have a huge customer base i'd say probably when we have about more than 25 people consistently buying from us that's when we really need because uh, we're, we're working on building the building they have really specific details on what the building needs to be 
to be considered a grade A dairy, which is ridiculous because it's so outdated. Mm-hmm. Literally, it doesn't even talk about lumens or wattage. Or lighting. I mean, well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, lumens or wattage when it comes to lighting, it says you need this many tall light candles. Ten long candles worth of light is the work, is what they say for lighting. And so the, the, this information is so outdated that it's probably back friggin' in the early 1900s before there was electricity all over Texas. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, I mean, we, when we were going to the different USDA buildings and talking to them. And the ad like, extensions. Um, and talking to them, I was saying, well, do you know anybody that can help us figure out what this actually had to become compliant to become a grade A dairy? Because this information is so outdated, I don't think that if we follow these instructions to the T, when the inspector comes out, that we would actually pass inspection because it's so outdated. And we, three of the three of the people that we spoke to at the U, different USDA buildings are like, I have no clue. And they're like, wow. they're like, you should go talk to this um, professor at the university. That's her specialty is helping dairy ranchers. And I was like, it, it's pretty sad when the USDA, who the governing wrote, body that wrote the law, or wrote the bylaw in there for for to become compliant, doesn't even know any other company to refer to for a current example to become compliant. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. And I will, yeah, and I will say like. As much as I love community, like the the other raw dairies that we've kind of talked to, and we're like, hey, would it be okay if we just like if you sent us like we've contacted people in like Michigan, and like can you just send us a picture of what your small dairy looks like like on the inside, so we can kind of get an idea of what we need to do to be compliant with laws. And they're like, no, they're like we don't want to give away our I guess like layout or secret. And it's like these are people in other states, and they don't want to. Well, different states have different. Laws. True, but we also contacted people in Texas who so that I, I get more because they're like we they don't want people driving from their customer base because they have people driving like two hours out to them. And well, they so said, they said you could schedule a tour, you just have to buy milk. You have to be a customer, but I don't want to lie because I'm not going to be a customer. I'm going to be a competitor, and I don't like lying. Yeah, so I have no problem lying. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's still kind of a shame though that to where with uh, just the illegal illegal raw milk consumption and just all the different it just depend upon the state to now that just changes how if you want to have raw dairy then that because i i understand with these raw dairy farms not wanting to share that and especially with like you're saying yeah, with competition to get but that's just a shame because it should just be open to the free market and let that decide and not have I mean, it should be legal. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Raw milk should be legal, and these issues should not be happening. So it's a shame that they have to feel like that they have to keep tight to themselves and not share any of that information. Um, Especially like the raw milk farmer that's near us, they are next to a major city. They're next to Colleen. And on and the so, other side, Colleen. Yeah, they're next to Colleen, and so they, they would have everybody – and clean and temple buying from them. And then we're north. And so to get to them is an hour and a half drive because we've got to go down and around. 
It's like, so we're not going to steal any of your customers. People aren't going to drive further to come to us. Yeah. And so we just want to provide our community with raw milk. And it's not yeah. about safety either, because legally we can give it away all day long. If it was about safety, you wouldn't be able to give it away legally, but we can. People can come to our farm. We can give it to them. It's fine. It's there's no laws against that. But once there's money involved, all of a sudden it becomes unsafe. And it's weird that two consenting adults can't agree to exchange money for food. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. So they're allowed to visit your farm and have and consume raw milk. Yeah, no, we can give away milk all day. Wow. But we can't sell it. As the second money gets involved, that's when the legality gets weird. And also, it's the same thing. It's why are farm shares legal and you don't have to get a grade A dairy license? But grade A dairy, you have to get a license. Like, again, it's not about safety. If it was about safety, it would be like you have to have a license to do the raw milk, but it's not. Period. Yeah. So with, I guess, can you explain the, the herd share, the, the, the whole program of this? So there's herd and... share, yeah, herd share, farm share, and there's another share. Um, basically, when you're doing a farm share, you're investing into that farm. And so that money is going to percentage of that farm. So the more people that you have, basically they have a different percentage of what they can receive. So basically like if you say, okay, if I have, I could cap out at 50 customers that could invest into the farm because if I go past 50 customers, they have limited access to the products that is produced. And so the farm share guarantees them first um, on what's available to uh, what you're producing. Same thing with a herd share. So herd share would be like, okay, I have this one cow and I'm going to have two, there's two people investing in it because they don't want a whole cow. They only want a half a cow. So they're investing into half a cow and they own the cow, not the farmer. And so when it goes off to slaughter, you're slaughtering for those two individuals. I see. It's the same thing um, with dairy. Your cow produces so much. You figure out how much your cow produces a month, figure out how much that would, you know, cost to sell, and then you figure out how much of a percentage someone wants of that. It's are there certain – yeah, with that then too, are there – do you just have to do one application for that to, to legally be able to sell that through the program to well, actually yeah, get the money? The government. No, there's, yeah, there's you no. just have to have everything on your end. And then if the government comes knocking, you have to be able to provide that information. Yeah, literally, you, you can type up your own paperwork. Paperwork Again, it's not about safety. Yeah, so you can word it however you want, as long as there's the farm share and explaining in, in there. And then you have the customer sign it, and you hold that record. So if the government does ever come knocking on your door, like, look, Part of this, this is a farm share. Yeah, like if Sheila buys raw milk and gets pulled over and is like gets in trouble, Sheila can go, I'm part of a farm share. Or if she told on us, she'd be like, hey, I have a farm share at Fafo Farms. They would come to us and be like, we need to see Sheila's farm share. So Let's we see. would pull out that paperwork. Okay. So now I guess in the scenario that you, you continue to expand your customer base with this and you've hit, say, 25 recurring customers like you were mentioning, and then you're able to build the actual building that's compliant, even though the people from the USDA don't know what they're talking about with all of that. Uh, 
<laughs> so I, I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, I'm just like, tell them what to do, please. <laughs> what are some other things that you'd have to really do? Are there a, a bunch of other applications you'd have to go through to continue doing um, to more retail? Or, yeah, I guess I know it's a very broad question, but outside of... Talk about raw milk. Um, so we just have to be grade A dairy certified to do retail. So we can sell. There's a meat market here in town that they're interested in raw milk for buying from us, but that won't be until we're grade A dairy, um, in which we're trying to because they have a lot of people constantly asking for raw milk when they go in there, and they only sell pasteurized milk, uh, grass-fed pasteurized milk in their store. Um, so we're hoping within the next three to four months um, that we can get licensed. Um, we were going to build from the ground up on doing a, 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 a structure to get compliant. Building. But since their information is so outdated, we're just going to repurpose one of the buildings on the property already. And so basically we're just going to have to clear it out and then make sure that the flooring that we put in is where you can wash it out. Um, and then we'll probably do some white paneled metal uh, roofing material, like the corrugated metal um, C panels, uh, because they have to be white, literally in the paperwork, it says they have to have white walls. Um, so we'll use that so it's easy to clean um, in the building as well. And so, because so we were originally looking at it, it's probably going to run us about anywhere between ten and $12,000 to build the facility. Um, we could probably knock that down to about fifteen hundred to two thousand uh, dollars, just repurposing a building that we already have. Yeah. So with that, then, and say all of that goes well, do you need to do any type of testing of the milk itself? To yes. So what's that? Yeah, every six like months then? we have to send it in in a sample, and upon request we have to send in samples. So it's every six months or upon request. What are they exactly looking for? And are they looking for certain things to flag? They're looking for toxins in it. Pathogens. Pathogens. And then just looking at the um, the nutrients in it. Yeah. Which I, I I would be excited to get those those numbers back because then that's what you put on your label on the milk. Yeah. Oh, I see. Trying to think yeah, they give you any other... Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying they give you a, a lot of data back. So that's good. What other data do they give back? I'm just curious for all of that because I don't know. You, with the conversation of pasteurized versus unpasteurized and all of the different bacteria and everything that happens and what gets changed whenever you heat up the milk, yeah, I'm just curious what all data are they giving back to you? I mean, it's just like the vitamin K, D, E. And all, all the, what are the percentages in, in your cow? And also, and so it would be based on like if they're 100% grass fed or are you feeding them on pellets only? So it kind of gives you an idea on what you should be increasing on your cow to create better milk. And so then, it, it's, it's a win win, even though they're, they're inspecting and sometimes they may be trying to put you out of business um, because government hates raw milk. Um, but it, it's a double-edged sword, in my opinion. Uh, it could be good. It could be bad. 
depending yeah. on, I guess, who's doing the inspection at the at the university, and then who who is your um, what is the word I would use person that you communicate with uh, at the USDA? Your contact person. Yeah, your contact person if they're friendly or not. Yeah, and they also do look for bacteria and anything that would make you sick because they are that part portion is about safety, which again, Clint's like that's amazing. It's but it is a double-edged sword. But I rather know. But we drink the raw milk every day and like probably like half a gallon a day. Yeah, me. <laughs> so why do you say that? The, I would be drinking that much too. I, I love raw milk. So oh, yeah. why do you say that the government hates raw milk? Because it cures a lot of things that go with a lot of ailments that people have. Um, and so uh, a sick society is a dependent society. And so when your society is no longer dependent on the government, then why, why, why would you need to give them more tax dollars? Why do you need to give them more funding for health care? Um, I mean, the goal is to get your community healthy so you're not dependent on the government. Yeah. And so as someone that has been a Republican for a very long, long time, it's like, they're not helping the, the people. Democrats aren't helping the people. I mean, libertarians aren't even helping the people. Um, it's just, it's all about division and nobody's truly actually helping anybody. It, once people wake up and realize that nobody's gonna help you, you're gonna have to help yourself and that starts with getting your health in order and figuring out what your body needs because everybody's body acts a little bit differently and there are different needs. Solve that, and once you're healthy, then you can start living your better life. Yeah. So with the people that you've talked to from the USDA, do you have that, I guess, similar feeling of um, just them not wanting to help you? The ones in Austin, yeah. Yeah. The ones up here, because there is a USDA building and uh, a little office in the next town over from us, and they, they're all, they all live local. Yeah. So they grew up on farms and stuff like that. So they're very helpful on like directing you because they're just the hub. And so they help the local farmers in this area, get them the contact information they need to go talk to the the headquarters in Austin. Um, So they are very helpful with that. But once you get down to Austin, good luck. Uh, I drove all the way down to Austin to find out they don't go to work. They work from home. And so the paperwork that I needed was in their office. I was like, well, can I go to the, the, the lobby of the office to get the paperwork? And you can't go up there because no one's up there. And this like, is after two weeks of emailing them. Yeah, this is me calling. I've left multiple voicemails, emails. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to drive down there. Come to find out they don't even go to work. They're still working from home because of COVID. <laughs> Do you have to deal with the USDA outside of the raw dairy, like on your day-to-day processes and, and everything that you're doing on the farm? No, we submitted our application, and that was about it. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty much just, yeah, you, you're good to go. You got the green stamp, and then they just kind of let you do what you want to do. Yeah, because as long as you're not processing more than 10,000 birds, they're not going to bother you. And yeah. so, and I don't think we're going to get anywhere big enough to the point where they're like, we're seeing a lot of Fafo farm chickens, so well, let's go check this guy out. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever get to that point where they, with the, we're on their radar because we're never going to produce that many chickens. No, we're really just focused on a local community. Like, 
we did bring some chickens down to like my parents and their neighbors, but like, and that was in Round Rock, but that's pretty much just because we wanted to bring them some stuff. So I'm curious to transition a little bit just to the farm itself. What was the experience like whenever you first, I guess it could be also with milk too, but just when you had your first just glass of milk that came from your farm and same for the meat birds that you had and the eggs, what was that experience like after starting it from scratch? I still can't drink full milk. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I'm lactose yeah. intolerant. He can drink the raw milk if it's skim, but he yeah. can't drink the for, from the cow. So you gotta it's separate weird. the cream from it. And so I can drink skim milk raw, and I can drink whole goat milk raw, but I can't drink because it's it's heavy cream basically in there, and that's what's what causes my stomach issues. Yeah, because I'm sure you know this, but goats are naturally A2A2, while cows you have to kind of figure out is, is this cow A2A2 or is it A1A2 because of the casein proteins and the way your gut digests all that. Yeah, can you explain that just for people that might not understand the difference between the A1, A2, and yeah. I'm really bad at it, so this is like the Barney version, um, but the more differences your stomach has to process, the more confused it's kind of going to be, and it may be like, hmm. What is this? This is the, again, the Barney version that someone gave me. But when you have A2A2 proteins, your stomach's like, oh, this is just milk. And it goes like down like that. Oh, again, dude. very Barney. But it's just <laughs> how your body isn't trying to differentiate two different proteins from one protein. Yeah. So what have, what's been, I guess this could be a, a question both you can individually answer. What's been your favorite thing so far since starting Fafo Farms TX. Touching on chickens. Yeah, you probably heard it earlier, but we have three chicks right behind us. They've been quiet all day, barely making a peep, but of course, like once we're in here and we're talking, they're like, let's, <laughs> let's party. We're always loud when I'm in here. Well, yeah, because you're in here and they know you. <laughs> but normally they're just quiet during the day. But so Hatch of Chicks is your favorite? Mm hmm. Mine is honestly milking the cow every morning. Our cow has a very big personality. Her name's Daisy, our niece and nephew named her. And she, right now, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, she's in heat, which means she's like not aggressive, but she's like very pushy. But it's funny to watch her like push everything around with her head. She's like, I'm going to go knock this bucket over. I'm going to go knock this bucket over. And she's like, she'll come up behind you and like try to like nudge you forward. And she's like, let's go. She's like, She's very bossy and it's funny to see their personalities come out, but like really milking her every morning is like, we do it really early in the morning, pretty much at sunbreak every morning. And I just love watching the sun come up over the property, over all the cedars, just sitting there. It's me, Clint and the cow. And we also have a calf who follows everywhere around too. So it's just, it's so wholesome. And it's like, this is not the way I grew up, but this is the way I definitely want to raise my children. That's awesome. Do you feel more connected to just the natural world? Oh, yeah. Like, our lives are led by the natural world out here. We're checking weather constantly. We're like, okay, what gear are we going to need if it's going to be raining in the morning? Like, where do we need? Because we do the rotational grazing. So our goats are, like, allergic to water. So if it rains, they break down their electric netting. They don't care. And they run for their uh, goat pen, which has a... Um, there's a little shanty in it. Yeah, as a, like a full shed. We have a uh, full shed, a shanty. Okay, but it, we have like a frames because we're a little extra. 
So I'm, I'm with the with the with the super like the amount of heat we had this summer. I'm like, we need cover for the animals. So we bought metal a frames. We have a frames that they can get in the shade if they want to, or they can lay on the side. Um, but they when it comes to rain, they don't mess with those. So they bolt out. They break into their goat pen. I even forgot what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, connected to nature. Yeah. So yeah, the rotational grazing too. Like it's just fun to watch and it's fun to like, I see birds every morning that I've never seen just like the quietness, like maybe two or three people go down our road in the morning. When, when we lived, we lived in Austin, we lived in Austin, we lived on Harris branch and it was like, like big rigs coming down the street all day long. And it's like, and there was a little dip. So oh yeah, there was a dip right in our, next to our backyard. So many cars have flown down that road and either hit it and then barrel rolled, or they've gone off into the side ditch and Jeez. hit things into the, yeah. There was like a water lagoon thing that someone ended up in. Because we we were beginning to learn how to homestead in our backyard in Austin, so we had like 33 raised garden beds. We had like seven chickens at the time. We were just in the backyard working on our garden at the time, and literally just you just see the car fly up we saw it over our fence yeah or you just see him go up and then turn and then so we were we i'm like well that, that sucks and so i just walk out <laughs> in the front yard and walk around the corner and i'm like well, seeing if see if he's all right but people already are pulling him out of the car and luckily the fire station was literally two minutes up the road so fire truck was already coming i was like okay well they don't yeah. need me so I just turn around went back to the house yeah we walked out there with a little first aid kit and we're like okay everything's already handled okay I mean, you're right. It is way more peaceful because I live in Austin currently, but whenever I was on the farm, it was about two hours outside of Pittsburgh. And after I ended there, I went up to Pittsburgh and that was the first thing I remembered just how loud it was compared to being on the farm. And I definitely missed that. Like you were saying with the birds, you just wake up because I just remember vividly waking up to just the chickens wanting to be let out. And then once you let them out, you just Enjoy the, ser- the serenity and nature around you. It's so beautiful. I don't know if they're so happy, grateful. They're like, like, I'm not dealing with angry people all day who like have a whole bunch of stuff that they got to get through just to get through it, just to live because we live in a city. It's like, I get greeted by happy goats in the morning and our cow may be in heat and want to like nudge me along, but she's doing her little dance while we're walking to the uh, milking machine. A lot of stuff, I mean, living out here, like instant, instant, cravings of fast food gone because you're not seeing it a lot of people don't realize all the signs that you see out there are marketed to make you hungry so like the yellow and red that's to make you hungry that's actually been there's a study on it that's proven that makes you hungry when you see it and so i was like i haven't craved in and out i haven't craved pizza uh, like all, all this junk food that i used to eat all the time being in austin and driving around the city freaking selling yeah. solar I was like, wow, I haven't craved a bur- I mean, she makes me burgers, so her burgers are better than any burger that I've had at a fast food joint. KNC cattle, baby. Yeah, KNC cattle burgers. <laughs> Another regenerative farm. With our own cheese. We put our own cheese in our burgers. So she literally has the patties, takes them apart, puts the cheese in the middle, puts them back together, puts them on the skillet. I mean, that's uh, what's so great. I mean, you're spot on because the farm. there's another ranch I visit in, in Colorado. And, man. All the food they were making was food you can get in restaurants, like you were saying, with burgers and pizza. 
but with the good quality ingredients that you can actually get from these actual farms and ranches, it is nine day difference. Not only does it taste better, you feel better and you actually, it's actually healthy. It's way healthier. You yeah. can make healthy pizza. You can make healthy burgers. You can make healthy raw ice cream. And yeah, yeah she's, she's made her own ice cream. It was a problem for a while. We were, we were like, we didn't have dinner, I think, for a week. We just ate, we just sat in bed and ate raw milk ice cream. We're like, <laughs> I was like, we can't do this. I'm like, we're, we're grown adults. Like, because we're grown adults, we can do it. But like, we should really be better about this. Well, the same thing with the, when we first started making cheese. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, he had cheese for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was, it was like, a problem. smoked jalapeno cheese is so good. And I, I felt like the first couple of days, I was, I was going through like half a roll a day. I was like, man, I can get fat again doing this. I can't do that. <laughs> Because I, I mean, uh, who's that comedian? Owen Benjamin. Owen Benjamin. He, because he makes his own cheese, but from goat milk. And so, like, he was eating a roll a day, and he put on a lot of weight. So, with that, I guess that could be the last topic before ending with your the goat milk and goat cheese. Because I know you have the the goat soap. Is in in terms of trying to sell that too? Is that a separate process that you have to go through, or how does that look? So the milk, the milk falls under the same thing as a grade A dairy. Um, for the soap? No, for the milk. Oh, yeah. Um, for the raw milk, uh, same thing as a cow. So we just have to have the milking stanchion inside the building for the goat. Um, for the soap, there's nothing. We don't have to no. do anything with the U.S. because it's not you don't eat it. Even though sometimes when I'm saying goat milk, I'll say so, so it'll like sound like soup. But I meant soap. And so people are like, you sell goat milk soup? No, 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 no. Soap, my bad. Soap, soap, soap. You wash your body with it. Now, <laughs> uh, uh, if you want to try to eat it, that's on you. I don't recommend it. Probably not going to taste that good. No. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, with our soaps, it's 100% natural. I mean, you're going to have your olive oil. You're going to have your castor oil, coconut oil, um, we put lye in it, so you get a little bit of lye in there. Shea butter. Shea butter. And then we let it cure, cure for four weeks. Because uh, the last thing we want people to do is be washing their body and they start burning because of the lye. So you got to let the lye burn out. It takes, about, it takes four weeks for it to fully process before it can be used. I guess before I go then, too, is there any other things that you two would like to share? We do plan on doing like uh, chicken processing classes um, on our farm. We do farm tours too. So anybody that wants to come up and just tour the farm or come hang out, they're more than welcome. If it's going to be a hangout, we'd ask in advance uh, to just contact us. Hey, we'd love to come out on like a Wednesday, Friday, or even on the weekend and come hang out for a couple hours. Yeah, see what your farm looks like. Um, and then what else? I just say community for me. I, I harp on this a lot. I'm like, please, like, no one talks to their neighbors anymore. Like, go talk to your neighbor. It's kind of hard for us to talk to our neighbors because they all have gates. And very long driveways. Very long driveways. <laughs> but we've met a lot of them anyway. And no microphone pad on their thing just to keep to open the gate. Yeah. Uh, out, in the, out in the country, you, you just stop and you talk truck to truck with your neighbor. You're like, yeah. hey, you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, but, I know you. But we do plan on going to all of our neighbors um, and giving them Christmas gifts. So we want to do like stuff from the farm, probably give them uh, the goat milk soap, and then put some notes in there of like, hey, if you want a free chicken, 
come over to Fefo Farms and get to know your neighbor. Um, so, yeah, we just want to connect with our community and kind of shift to local people here that are also doing farming to do a barter system. Because eventually, with inflation going through the roof, if you can be self-sufficient on your farm, because we're, we're doing that too, we, uh, there's little things that we're doing on the farm to where we don't have to buy chicken feed. And so I built this little compost bin where you throw uh, waste, your food waste in there and it attracts flies. And then the larva gets in there and they can't get out. So they got to go through the tubes into a bucket. They die there and you can feed that to the chickens and they're having to buy mealworms for your chickens. Um, so we're, uh, it's, it's actually working very well. I've cut probably, we've had it for about a week and a half. I've got a, a five-gallon bucket about that filled with maggots right now. Which is really gross. It's <laughs> really gross, but it's doing really good for the chickens. And when I'm able to move it further away from the house, I'll scale it out, get probably about 30 or 40 of those going. And that way we don't have to buy chicken feed down the road. Yeah. Um, and it's a super high-protein diet. It's a super high-protein diet, and that's – 50, I mean, that's 500 to $700 that I could shave off of our monthly cost. Yeah. And also, like, awesome. again, yeah, this goes back to community and stuff like that. Like, talk to, if you need coffee grounds, like, you don't have to do it yourself. You can just go talk to your local coffee place. Like, we uh, reached out to Black Rifle and Clean. We're like, hey, does anyone take your coffee grounds? Because we need a butt ton of coffee grounds. They're like, actually, no, no one does. They're like, we're like, we leave a bin here overnight and you just throw all your extras in? They're like, yeah. So it's just like talking to people. People are more than willing to help you. You just have to ask. Yeah, we got, it was a, it's a 20 or a 10 gallon. There were 20 gallons and it was filled halfway. Yeah, the tw- a 20 gallon tub that we had and it took us two days, but we filled half of it because you only want to fill half of it with coffee grounds. And then you do cardboard over that and then you do the food waste on top of that. But I mean, it would have taken us like, if six, we had, yeah. six months to seven months to do it ourselves. To like, drink that much coffee. That much coffee. <laughs> Talk to a local coffee shop and you get, plus coffee grounds are good for your garden beds and stuff like that. And then also talk to your local restaurants about what do you do with your food waste? And also like ask them what oils they use. Cause if you're trying to be organic or regenerative, you don't want people who use seed oils to be feeding your chickens, their food waste. But like talk to your local restaurant be like, Hey, what do you do with your food waste? I mean, if you don't mind seed oils, talk to any restaurant, but they are more than happy to give you their food waste. And it cuts down on their, their garbage costs. It costs on their garbage costs, their rodent problems, their everything. Like it helps them out. And again, it just creates a little circle in the community. Yeah. Cause we, we found one restaurant and we're, we're slowly trying to work because their employees, it's a new habit to teach them to put all the food waste into a bin in the back of the building. And so I've gotten a couple bags from them. Um, but every other restaurant in town was already partnered with a farm. Yeah. And so this was the last restaurant in town. I was like, I got to get it. Yep. And so I'm building a relationship with the owner. I've met with her a couple of times. When I'm doing the Lions Club, I see her down there. So I talk with her. And it's probably going to be end up being me that's going to have to train their uh, employees. employees, their uh, not their waiters, but bus boys? the bus boys, train, training the bus boys. So I'm going to have to go in there a couple days a week uh, once uh, we really scale it up to get all their food waste because they get they get about a 1,000 pounds of food waste um, a week. Yeah, and so, like, again, that would cut down tremendously on our feed costs. Like, there are ways that you can 
cut down costs, be a part of the community, and like help someone else out while they're helping you. Because we would also because all that food waste would go into a compost pile. And I was like, okay, well, if we if she gives us all this free food waste and we can create this great compost pile, and the chickens are breaking it up because they're eating through and scavenging through it. Next year, we'll have free compost for the community. Yeah. We'll have the owner. She'll have first access because she provided the food for us. So we get all the compost that she wants for her garden and just that's so give awesome. something back to the community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just like just simple talking to the people that are around you because it's not only like you're saying, you're helping them and they're really helping you. And you're not, it's regenerative in a way too because you're not wasting food waste. It's going back to the chickens, which goes back to the ground and the soil, which and also helps us. It's, it's just an awesome cycle. But then like, yeah. And then also just long-term as you build these relationships and as you build more compost, then you'll have that extra. And that helps with, you can potentially educate others potentially being interested in doing all this. And so, yeah, it's really awesome. And it goes back to just the power of community, which I, I really love. Yeah. That's like, I know we our our business model is kind of terrible. I've been told, but we really, we want to educate people and get people into this. We want people to be able to be self-sustaining on their own. Like, I don't care if you come to our culling class and our processing class and you never buy a chicken from us again, because you are now on your own. You have that knowledge. You can help yourself. You can help your family. You can pass that on to someone else. I may lose a customer, but that person's going to go out and it's kind of like you, you do uh, a nice thing for someone or two people. They do a nice thing for two more people. So that's four people who have nice things. You know, it's the compound effect. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. let's help people. Let's get people self-sustaining. Let's help people like do things, get healthy, do things the right way. It may be a little bit harder, but really it's really a lot easier. And honestly, the hardest part for me is talking to people. I have social anxiety. I, that's why I, I look to him and I'm like, you talk. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And I was a huge introvert before I met her too, which was kind of funny. <laughs> We've well, thank you all for joining. Though. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I guess no, the, thank you. the last thing I'll say too, is if for everyone listening and you use social media, you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Fafo farms, Texas or TX. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're Fafo farms, TX on everything. Yeah. So we have Twitter now X Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble. Truth Social, and then what was Getter? that? Getter. But I don't post on Getter anymore because it was getting no traction. So yeah. we have all these social media. We're trying to figure out what works. We're trying to figure out which one has traction. And then once I said I was going to give it about a year uh, with the social medias, and then I'll pick the top three, and we'll stick with those. I'd say top two. <laughs> Well, you're going to have two social medias, and then you're going to have a video platform. Okay. So Rumble's going to be the video because we're getting away from YouTube just because mm-hmm. they are censoring like crazy. Yeah, they're actually going yeah. to start censoring raw milk yeah. stuff. Yeah, if you have any video with raw milk, good luck. Your account's going to be banned. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> we're the healthiest things know, on the planet. <laughs> I know I've been following you two on Instagram and, and Twitter, so anyone that's interested in seeing what's like from the starting from the ground up, those are great. Um, especially on Instagram, you guys have shared so many awesome video clips. So I highly recommend checking that out. And then also their website is fatfallfarmstx.com. Thank you again for joining. No, thank you. And thank you for everything you do. I really appreciate it. Believe me. The Regenesis needs to happen.